Okay, well, welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I am joined today by one of my good friends and someone I am honored to have on the podcast, Billy McGuigan, who preaches for the Three Chop Church of Christ in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome, Billy. Hey, Wes. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for doing this, brother. This is great. I, I have to say before we get started that uh, I've been listening to some of your sermons online, but I had to stop because I, I'm afraid I'm going to accidentally try to imitate your your accent. And so I, I had to stop listening before I, it sunk in too much. So we're gonna have to keep this brief today because okay. I'm jealous well, you of got... your accent and I don't wanna I don't wanna adopt it. Well, uh, help me to keep it brief, okay? <laughs> start. I'm, we're, we're taking over America one person at a time with the accent. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you used to have a Virginian accent, and then yeah, you just hung yeah. around an Irish guy I, so long. I, I totally did. I hung around Trey Morgan. <laughs> That'll do it. Well, Billy and I both uh, have the privilege and honor of speaking at the Red River Family Encampment in the summertime, and that's where I first got to spend time with Billy. And and listening to all of your lessons, I got to sit in your class through the week this summer, and also your your keynote uh, your keynote sermon, and it was titled "I Promise My Forgiveness Is Enough." And Billy, every time I hear you preach, it's different. You you do something different, something that surprises me, something that catches me off guard, something different, not only than you did the time before, but something different than I've ever heard done before. Uh, and your approach to the text, your transparency with people, your transparency with the audience uh, is something I admire as a as a preacher. And and what you did with this particular sermon about forgiveness was so powerful. And I thought it was I thought it was very gutsy because you you spent so much time doing what I think everyone expected you to do, talking about God's forgiveness and how his forgiveness is enough, his forgiveness is enough, his forgiveness is enough, and do you believe that? And you kept asking if the people believed that, and and then at the very end, you gave us the application, and you spent no time at all, but you just left it there. So kind of walk us through what what the application was and why you decided to preach it the way that you did. Um, you, you said it was uh, powerful. Uh, after I reflected or even before I preached it, I actually thought it was very cheeky. Um, and uh, I, here, here's uh, for those maybe who didn't, uh, did what I I just did was to read all the Bible verses uh, from Old Testament and New Testament about forgiveness, and that's what I did, and then and asked as you said, do we believe that we're forgiven and do we want this forgiveness, and then just the application right at the end is and I didn't touch. There's a handful of verses that we know. Uh, then we may touch on some of those that say we need to forgive or God won't forgive us. And so the application right at the end of the sermon where I just had had to be left hanging is, do you want this forgiveness? And the answer is, what I said is, then we need to forgive. And that's it. And so those are the Bible verses, because here's what I know. I want God's forgiveness, 
but I also know that I'm human and I can struggle to give it to other people. And that's the kind of wrestling part, but give me, give me, give me all the forgiveness, God, but I'm struggling and will struggle to forgive. And, um, but give me your forgiveness. So that's what the cheeky sermon was about. So thank you for your encouragement on it. Well, it was, it was, it was incredibly powerful because you, you, you left it there without any sort of resolution yes. uh, to, to make us feel better, to, to, to make us struggle with it, to make us wrestle with that idea that you have to forgive. Now, now go and do this and apply it. And you had said something, and I forget exactly how you worded it, in the midst of the sermon itself that sort of foreshadowed the end of the sermon that later I was able to reflect back on. And you said something about application that were were light on application. Do you remember? I don't remember exactly uh, how you said yeah, that. Yeah, we, we, um, we're good with information. Um, uh, we are uh, heavy on knowledge, but we're anemic when it comes to application mm. and, and or, or something along those lines. And it's true. I know we want... We want to study the Bible, which is a good thing to do. And we get our information there, but we don't just want information. So we're, we're, we've got fat heads of information. And then we're anemic when it comes to applying the text. You know, James would tell us, um, don't just be hearers of the word, do what it says. And so for the most part, when we go, you know, we preach at, at churches and we go to Red River and the like, the people we're speaking to already really know what the text is saying. It's then the doing of it. And I think, and maybe I don't want to toot my own horn, but that's where the, the power came from, uh, from the scripture itself. But me just said, here it is, or God sent to us, you want my forgiveness? Then you go and forgive people. So uh, I think that's the language I was using. We're heavy on information. We struggle with transformation. We want the knowledge, but we're anemic when it comes. We've got fat heads with knowledge, but we're anemic when it comes to the application. Yeah, something like so that. True. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And and I was really I was thinking about this today because I'm I'm preparing a set of lessons from the book of James. So it's interesting you brought up James, and. And as I thought about James and his emphasis on do it, <laughs> don't just yes. tell me that you have faith, do it. Don't yes. just tell me that you've mm-hmm. heard, do it. Don't just tell me that you love people, love them, show me, show me. Um, but then I, I reflected on the fact that so much of the New Testament has that to say to quote unquote religious people. And it's interesting that that the New Testament says so much about, in a negative sort of way, in a negative light, about religious people that are religious in the the way that you're describing there, that fat on knowledge, uh, but light and anemic on application. As much as we we hear that, as we read from from Matthew all the way to Revelation, this idea that Jesus didn't call us, as one friend of mine says, Jesus didn't call us to be philosophers. He called us to be disciples. Yes, but we still we still struggle with that. Two thousand years later, here we are. We, we still fall into the same rut that the Pharisees fell into, that we know all of the information, and we want to even debate about it. Well, when are you forgiven, and, and how are you forgiven, and, and how does God's forgiveness work? Let's talk about theories of atonement, and we want to talk about all of these philosophical, religious, theological ideas, but then when it comes to 
practice it. Go out yes. now that you've experienced it. Go and extend it to others. We we really fall into the same trap that religious people have always fallen into. No, I, I think you're right. I think what we've been taught, uh, our tradition is we Bible study. We, we Bible study before our worship service, and then we hear something from a one-sided conversation from the preacher, and then we'll come back that night and do it all over again and listen, and then we'll do it midweek. So we Bible study, and we have our own individual Bible studies, uh, which is no bad thing, but then it's actually doing what it says. It, it, James says, if I, if I could be bold enough to read it, need my glasses. Uh, it's James 1.19 uh, and following. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. There's emotion uh, and disconnect there. Therefore, get rid of all the moral faith and evil that's so uh, prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And then he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we have to then wrestle with our tradition. I'm not saying we don't Bible study. It's, I think, the challenge for us challenge for the preachers as well and the Bible class teachers is, okay, we know what it says, but what does it look like if we lived it out? And a lot of us preachers and teachers are anemic on application. We, we may know what the Greek word says, and we know how it all fits in the historical background, but what does it look like? So I, here's, and we're, maybe I'm taking it off track here. We need scripture and life to intersect or we're just getting knowledge and information and not transformation. So when it comes to then forgiving, I know I'm forgiven. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It, it, but it doesn't just stay with me, forgiveness. It has to come out. It has to come through me to other people. And that's, you know, so I, I think about this don't merely listen to the word and do what it's uh, so deceive yourself, do what it says. So a question that we need, we Christians need to ask ourselves every day is this, will I do what God's word says? And that's a yes or a no, isn't it? Will I do what God's word says, yes or no? And the answer won't be seen in the word yes or no. The answer is going to be seen in how I live my life every day. So I can say to you or I can say to my church, you know, will I forgive? Yes. Will I do what the Bible says? Yes. But my actions are going to prove what I'm really saying, right? What, what would you yeah. add on to that, Wes? Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And and I, I keep coming back to, to one thought that sort of underlies this conversation, especially as it pertains to forgiveness, and, and that is sort of the assumption— that that I think is true in a lot of cases, but I think sometimes might not be true. And this is one of the things that made the, the sermon itself so powerful, is that you spent the, the whole sermon laying this foundation of, do you believe that his forgiveness is enough? Yes. Do you believe that you have it, that you're forgiven? And, and I think for a lot of religious people, for a lot of Christians, the answer is yes. But I think for a lot of, for, for many the, the answer is yes, 
I hope or yes, but, or I, I think so. And and I think that there are some Christians, I think you and I are, are fully convinced. You said a second ago, I know for sure that I'm forgiven. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I've run into so many Christians, even Christians that have been in the church, they've been in Christ for for decades, and they still aren't really sure whether or not they're forgiven. They know uh, a lot of Bible, but yes. sometimes the more Bible they know, the the less they feel forgiven. And and they 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 may know it intellectually, but they don't know it emotionally. So when they get to their deathbed, and that's a lot of times I have these conversations yes. that that people are saying, "I'm not sure I'm forgiven. I'm not sure I'm saved." So, uh, you know, w- why is it? Do, do you experience the same thing? Do you think there are a lot of Christians that are unsure of their salvation, and and why do you think that is? Uh, I I think it it, it just might boil down to unbelief I, I don't i don't believe because we can read the text you know there's now no condemnation for those in christ jesus romans 8 1 okay i can read that and i'm saying am i going to believe this to be true does it go back to us really trusting or believing in who god is or what the cross accomplished um anyone in christ is a new creation the old is gone, behold, the new has come. Will I believe what the Bible says? And it, so it, I think it comes down to a belief. Did what Jesus do on the cross forgive me or not? You know, it, God coming to this world and saying, I love you and I want to be in relationship with you. Will we believe that or not? And so the thing is, God can be trusted. We know that. So I think it, it, it's it's belief or unbelief now, we, or, or just accepting it. Now, some of us the struggle with emotionally accepting it. Like, I'm such a wretch that he can't forgive me or I can't forgive myself. And that might take us somewhere else that we might not want, want to go. But do I believe God and what he's saying to me? Do I believe God's word? Do I believe that I am a new creation because of Christ and my belief in him? Uh, so I think it it's there. I can read this all day long uh, for the rest of my life, but then get on my deathbed and say, I hope I've done enough. Well, you haven't. That's right. He did. So I think That's it right. comes down to belief. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, or, no, I think you're exactly right. I think that, in fact, I, I, in those moments where I, I'm being a little bit facetious, I, I have said the same kinds of things to people when they've asked, have I done enough? The answer is, of course not. No, you haven't, yes. but he mm-hmm. has, and that's where that's where our trust comes from. And then also that idea that um, it, just trusting him, trusting God, and sort of the converse of that, we think that we're being, I think, we believe we're being humble by saying, I'm not sure I'm really saved. But it's actually not an act of humility to say that. It's an act of, as you said, distrust. We're saying to God, I don't really trust that what you say about me in Christ is true. If he says, in Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you have my grace and my love and and belonging. And then we say, I don't believe that. We're essentially 
calling God a liar. And that's something like that. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. Um, I have a, had a friend, he's now in heaven, I believe his name is Paul. Uh, and he was a part of the church in Natick, Massachusetts, where I preached. And, uh, I, I met Paul a couple of years after he had gone on a bender, um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background. He he made about $4 million uh, and uh, he retired about 47. And then he went on a bender for three years and he lost all the money. Whatever you could be addicted to, Paul did it. Then one day he shows up at the church and says, I need God. I said, you've come to the right place. So I would meet with, and he told me the story, just a, a glimpse of and more details, but what I just told you there. Um, and I'd meet with him every week at Panera Bread and would talk. And his struggle was that he couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't forgive himself. And I would say, you know, Paul, he's forgiven you. And this is the, the emotional connection to maybe if I could forgive myself, I'll realize that God has forgiven me. And I'd remind him, uh, and just a couple of the texts that I just shared there, you're a new creation. All your sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then he would tell me about this little dream or thought that he would have. And he called it something something like prison of the mind, something like that. And, and he would say, you know, he would remember all the things he did. And, um, and all of a sudden he's now in a jail cell and he cries out to God. And Jesus comes with a big jailer key and opens up that jail door and Paul comes out. And he's, and so every Tuesday, almost every Tuesday, I'd remind him that he's forgiven. Before I left, and this is nothing to do with me, this is all God working in us, that before I left to move here to Richmond, Virginia, Paul came over to the house and he, he had this uh, green box and it was a gift for me. And um, and he's grinning ear to ear like a Cheshire cat. And I and, and he said, he said, open the box. I opened the box and I've got got this card. So it's like this color. And in the card, he says, Billy, see you on the outside, Paul. That's a, and I'm like, what's he talking about? And he's grinning like a Cheshire cat. And he says to me, look in the box. And, and in the box, I pull out this big jailer's key. See you on the outside. I think being reminded over and over that he was forgiven, he moved past the emotions of it all and realized that he was forgiven. And then he could give me this big key. And so I have it here as a reminder of my friend Paul said, I'll see you on the outside. So he had to rise above his emotion to realize that, and it might have, he needed to hear it over and over and over again. And maybe we need to hear it over and over again. You're forgiven, you're forgiven. Yeah. And and speaking of the, the practical side of that theology, because I think that good theology or bad theology undergirds almost everything that we do. We do what we do, in a sense, because we believe what we believe. When we believe a lie, we end up doing things that are based on that lie. When we believe the truth, we end up doing things that are based on that truth. And and so 
what have you seen has been a result of people that don't really believe they're forgiven, whether that's intellectually or emotionally, or or what happens in a person, do you think, when they really do believe that? Uh, I, I'll give you a, a story as well. I, I love that story that you just told about Paul. I knew a guy named Carl one time, and he became a disciple before I before I knew him, but before that, before he became a disciple of Jesus, he he lived a, a very rough life. He he did similarly anything you could possibly imagine, and and he lived a very rough life. And he would tell you about the rough life that he lived. But after he became a Christian, his zeal and enthusiasm for sharing that forgiveness and the grace of God with other people. Uh, became evident, and he couldn't he couldn't stop talking about what had happened in his life. So, what do you see as the the practical side of believing this truth or not believing this truth? What what do you see happens in a person's life? Um, there there's a story in uh, Luke's gospel, I think it's chapter seven, of the woman going to uh, wash Jesus's feet and does it with her tears. Um, it's it's Luke seven and and the language says something like um, she loved much hmm. because she had been forgiven much, and so when we realize that we have been forgiven an awful lot, we're going to respond like your friend there. We're going to respond a certain way. Uh, and I, I years ago, it was before I moved to America, my cousin Andy, who's an elder at a church in Belfast, Church of Christ in Belfast, said, some of us believe that we haven't been forgiven much or there wasn't much saving to do with us but other people. And so with this woman in Luke chapter 7 and, or, or myself included thinking, uh, I've been forgiven a whole lot. I think when it comes down to it, when, when I respond or uh, to God's forgiveness or love, either I'm going to uh, push out, uh, dole out forgiveness in a teaspoon or a shovel, mm. right? Because I haven't been really forgiven a whole lot, so I don't. And so this woman in Luke 7 says something about that. But also, if I am can't forgive or struggle to forgive, I'm going to die spiritually. I'm just going to die because it has to flow out of me and I'm holding it in. It's like holding the grudge that, I, I, you know, I'm going to be stuck in a place. And um, and, and we know people and have seen it in, uh, from listening to people that they're just stuck in a place where, well, when did this happen to you? Well, that happened 10 years ago. And you haven't moved on or you haven't forgiven yourself and you're stuck in a place. So either we're going to be stuck or either we're going to give out forgiveness in a teaspoon or give it out in a big shovel. And here's what we need to do. We need to shovel it out. Forgiveness like in a God sized shovel, because that's what he did for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, no doubt. So th those I, are a couple of different responses to how yeah. people are going to respond. I think. Yeah, I, 
I totally agree. And I can't help but think about one of the classes that you did at Red River and and you showed a clip from The Chosen. And anybody who's listened to this podcast very long knows that I love that show. Travis Polly, who's usually on here with me, he loves The Chosen. And and you showed this clip of Jesus with the woman at the well. Love and it. and and that scene is exactly what we're describing here. It's it's this woman who she says, he told me everything that I ever did, but but sort of what goes without being said is that he loved me anyway, and he accepted me in spite yes. of all that I ever did or in spite of all that's yes. happened to me, and and everything changes. It's, it's interesting that she leaves her water jar at the yeah. well and runs into town, because that's what happens when when we know that Jesus— sees us for who we truly are and he loves us and he he brings his grace into our lives it it changes everything and if everything hasn't changed then then we need to ask ourselves then do you really believe it do you really yes. believe that this is true mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah what one of the things i love about that scene is it she's hurt and whatnot and she said i'm rejected by everybody and the Jesus Jesus says, I know, but I won't reject you or something like that. And he's emotional too, knowing who she is and how she's being treated. I'm rejected by everyone, uh, but I'm not going to be rejected by the Messiah. And so there's something in there for us, isn't there, realizing if I'm accepted by God, if I'm forgiven by God, I will accept others. I will forgive others. I will love others. So I think it goes back to the belief. Do I believe God? Do I believe Jesus? Do I believe what the word says? And it would go back even to, if you don't forgive people, I'm not going to forgive you. And we got to think, is God serious about that? Well, we have to have a conviction about that. Is he serious? Well, I think he is. So my response, and I have to rise above the emotion of it, because, you know, we get hurt by people, people wrong us, but I got to rise above the emotion of it. So either Jesus and God's on the throne of my life, or my emotions are. And if my emotions are on the throne of my life, I'm not going to love the way I need to. I'm not going to accept people. I'm not going to forgive people. So we got to get the emotions off. And God on the throne, well, he's on it anyway, but you know what I'm trying to say there. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and, and I, I can't, we can't wrap this up without bringing up one of the, the parables that Jesus tells and his words, his powerful words that drive this point home in Matthew chapter 18. And, and I'll read this text real quick for us, and then mm-hmm. we'll just sort of think through this. And it's everything that we've been saying thus far. Uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus has just finished up talking in verses 15 through 20 about if someone sins against you, go and, and talk to them one-on-one. And if they don't listen, then mm-hmm. take someone else with you. And, and then eventually you may have to take it to the church. But the underlying all of that is if they do listen to you, if your brother does listen to you, then you've gained them and you need to forgive them. Uh, but then in verse 21, of course, Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe, so that his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, 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 well. Then we have to have a conviction about that, don't we? Is Hmm. is Jesus serious about what God's going to do? And then we have to respond. Clearly there's a debt to be paid something's owed something has to be paid or forgiven and we have to respond we have to respond to god's forgiveness we have to respond to god's love for us and it just you know there's a spirit i want the forgiveness but i'm not doling it out or i'll give it out in a teaspoon or a shovel so there's something about an attitude there isn't there or a spirit that is anti-God. It, 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 it's not going, it's opposed to God's ways. It's not doing what God wants us to do. And it's not allowing God to work the way he works with people. People need to be freed. People need to be forgiven. They need to forgive themselves and they need to forgive other people. And so that, that's definitely a challenge there to where we have to answer this question of, will I do what God says? Will I do what the word says? Am I just going to be a hearer of the word or I'm going to be a doer of the word? And we got to rise above the emotions and how we feel about ourselves or feel about people and just give it. Just give it. That's what we need to do or just do it as James and Nike would tell us. (laughs) Exactly. That is so well said. And, you know, as I was thinking ahead of time about this discussion, I kept thinking about practical questions like, well, is there a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? And and what does forgiveness really look like in practical terms? And, you know, how do you how do you forgive somebody if they if they haven't repented and they and they don't ask for forgiveness? And there's all kinds of questions like that that could come up. And 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 good practical advice I think could be given. And feel free to do that if you want to. But you know, it it strikes me your point about the shovel and the teaspoon that so often we ask those types of questions. Sometimes we ask those questions in good faith, wanting to do the right thing. But other times those questions are asked a lot like Peter was asking the question, how many times, how many times do I have to forgive? And we want to know what's the minimum? Where's the line? How far do I have to go in order to, to be forgiven? If I if I want to avoid this punishment, where do I? Where's that line of minimum forgiveness that I can extend to other people? And Jesus tells him to be 
just insanely generous with the forgiveness that that they dole out. Um, and I think there's a lesson there for all of us when we ask those types of questions. Uh, totally. There has to be application. Uh, I was looking at, uh, I'm going to read, if I may, uh, Romans 12, 17. And this ties totally in with forgiveness. Um, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here it is. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, and then here's the last verse. Uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when it comes to forgiven people, we're not to take revenge or hold the grudge. It has to go out freely. And I think this is the, the, the kind of practical application. We're going to deal with the wrongs, but we're going to deal with it God's ways. So when I take revenge or I withhold something or I'm going to punish you because you hurt me, I think this text is saying I'm doing God's job. Mm-hmm. My job is to bless them. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God's job is to take care of those people my job is to bless them. And that's what forgiving someone would do. It's releasing them or taking care of their debt and, and me just getting on with my life. So that's, I think there's some practical uh, application there for us in it's forgiving. Amazing. Absolutely. It, and it's amazing how many of these things come back to trusting God, trusting yes. God that he has, he has forgiven us, believing yes. that that's true. And then trusting God that he means what he, he says when he says, yes. if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And then trusting yeah. God that that evil will be dealt with, that vengeance does belong to him. I've often reflected on sort of the comfortable world we live in in 21st century America. And, and it's one thing for us to say to one another, turn the other cheek or go the extra mile. Or when someone sues you for one piece of clothing, give, give him the other one in a world where all of that is sort of theoretical, it would be totally different if we were ministering and preaching the gospel in some tribe, in some jungle somewhere where they were experiencing tribal war and they were killing one another. And to express this thought of forgiveness and mercy and and loving your enemies and, and doing good to those who do evil to you, it's the only way I think that that can actually be lived out is if we really truly believe that God will take care of the vengeance. He will will take care of the penalty. He will take care of, of all of these things and set all things right. And that's, that's where it comes from. Not just a, a pie in the sky, you know, I'm just going to be a nice person, but this real true belief that God will handle these things. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely right. 
And our job is just to reflect him. Let him take care of whatever the wrongs. He'll right them all. He'll pay people back for what they've done to us. Our job is to love. Our job is to forgive. And it starts with us believing, as you say, that what God's word says is true. We got to trust him. And if we do, we'll live these things out. We'll live it out. Yeah. Well, Billy, I just want to thank you again for everything you do for the kingdom, the, the way that you bless me. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that you preach the gospel, but also, more importantly, the way you live out the gospel. Thank you. Thank you for all you do, uh, brother. God bless you. I could definitely say the same to you, Wes, and what you're doing, especially with this and all the other things you do. Thank you, and we'll thank God for us being a part of the work. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.